Okay, we're continuing our series called RELATE. RELATE is an acronym. It's not just the name of the church, it's an acronym. R is reroute my thinking. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. RELATE is learning and practicing how to do relationships God's way, even if no one else is. And so as we get into this, R is reroute my thinking, and when I have a negative emotion, instead of giving in to it, I decide to go another direction and seek Him, seek truth, right? And or just forgive, and just let it go, reroute my thinking. So listen to that if you missed it a couple of weeks ago. This is the first step when you're dealing with conflict in your life. And uh, the, the second step is elevate others. We talked about that last week. Putting others first, making me last, considering others above me, not by putting me down, but by elevating them higher. There's so much packed into that that I hope you'll go back if you missed it last Sunday and, re and, and listen to it again on the line, all right? Uh, today we're going to be talking about L, which is list my threats, all right? Then A, next week, is accept my part. Then T, turn to God from my sin, and E is enlist accountability, all right? So listing my threats, listing your threats is you looking at you to see how you're being threatened by the situation or by the person or persons involved. It's you looking at you. In other words, when you're being threatened, instead of just looking and saying, oh, they're threatening me, they're causing me discomfort, they're causing me anxiety, instead of looking at everybody else and saying, they're doing this to me, this empowers you. Because you can't change them, right? You can't make them change. You can't make them stop doing what they're doing. What you can do is look inside you and change you. You can change your response. You can, even you can even change how you're feeling about it. So the goal is this, to begin doing an inventory on yourself when you're experiencing negative emotions, finding the areas in you that are being threatened. And this is so key to being able to overcome those difficult moments in our lives when we're having relationship problems. Listen, if, and, and this is funny because I talk to a lot of Christians and when I try to take them down this path and I ask them the question of how are you being threatened? Oh, I'm not being threatened. Mm -mm. Christians are the worst at this because, oh no, I'm not being threatened. Really? Okay. Well, let me put it this way. If you're angry, anybody here ever been angry? All right. If you're angry, you're threatened. Any kind of negative emotion, if you're feeling hurt, you're threatened. If you're disappointed, you're threatened. If you're depressed, now I understand there might be some chemical issues going on, but for the most part, it's because you're threatened. And if you're threatened for an extended period of time and you don't deal with it properly, taking these threats to God, if you don't deal with it properly, you could end up depressed. They found out that people that are, that, are, that are threatened for an extended period of time, the prefrontal cortex is shrunk, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, for an extended period of time, that leads to depression. And so beginning to process your threats God's way is absolutely necessary for you to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you know God's people should be the most joyful people on earth? Why? Because 
He's taking care of us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Listen, if you're disturbed, if you're afraid, if you're frustrated, if you feel insignificant, if you're feeling sad, stressed, or paralyzed emotionally, any kind of a negative emotion is an indicator that you are being threatened. And listen, what we want to teach you, what God wants you to hear and to know is that all of the threats of this life can be dealt with in, in your heart and in your head, knowing who he is and what he's done for you and what he's said about you. Wouldn't you like to have that? That means it doesn't matter what people do to you. I think I should say that one again. It doesn't matter what people do to you. Because you know him. All right, so there are three threats in life, and only three. Did you know that? All of the things that you struggle with, all of the things that make you feel these negative emotions, there's only three threats. Everything that you're dealing with in your life and everything that you've dealt with and will deal with all can be categorized in one or more of these three areas. First, there's your security. Then your significance. Then your intimate relationships. Those are the only three threats that you face in your life. Let's talk about them real quickly. Security is, do I feel safe? Do I have food? Do I have clothes? Do I have finances? Do I have what it takes for my body to live? And as we talked about in, in uh, Reroute Your Thinking a couple of weeks ago, when, you're, when your brain picks up on a threat for that, what happens? The prefrontal cortex shrinks and you lose your ability to think clearly and to make good decisions. So it's important for you to take your security to God. The second one is significance. Do I matter is the question. Do I matter? Your significance. Am I important? My social status. This deals with uh, your, your positions in life. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a mother, a wife, if you are a son or a daughter, if you are a person of a position at your, at your workplace, whatever your position is on the highway, if someone's going to knock you out of that position, that threatens your, your, your significance. Who do you think you are? I'm important to be driving down this road. You think you've got to go somewhere better than me? All of these thoughts and feelings go through our minds about our significance. You think you're, you're driving a Mercedes. That makes you better than me, right? Those are threats for our significance. And, and don't you hate it when someone in a Mercedes cuts you off? Come on, it's worse than some guy in some little rinky-dink car. It's worth, you admit it, you know it. All right, intimate relationships, the third threat. If someone you love or someone you want in your life is going to be taken from you or is going to walk away from you, that's a threat. That's a threat. All right, so as we move forward today, I want to I take us to a story in the Bible, and most of the sermon is going to be this story. And the reason I'm taking you there is because the Bible is full of stories, and in all of the stories in the Bible, I want to encourage you, as you do your devotions, to start looking for these three threats in the stories that are there and try to spot them. Because the more that you can spot them as you're doing your devotions, the more you can begin to use this on a daily basis in your personal lives. So I'm gonna, I want to take you to the, one of the, my favorite stories, uh, the book of Esther. Y'all know the book of Esther? Okay, well, if you don't, you're going to know it. It's going to be, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. We're basically going to go through the whole thing today. And this story, the reason I'm going through it today is because it is full of threats. The whole story is. 
And uh, so let's get into it. All right. So approximately 2,500 years ago, there was a king. His name was Xerxes I over Persia. You know, Persia then is Iran today. Xerxes had a powerful military that he inherited. In fact, it was so powerful that they, over, they overcame Babylon, and this became the primary powerful um, country in the, in the world at that time. They were dominant. They were, uh, their military campaigns were swift and brutal, is what they say. So the story goes on that, like this. Xerxes had been celebrating and feasting with all of the military leaders and generals from all across, all of the leaders from across his province, had come into town, and for six months, they were celebrating. He, he, was, he was putting his wealth and power on display for these guys, and they were also planning and, and protecting the nation. As they were supposed to be meeting and stuff to deal with protecting them from, from any outsiders to stay the power, right? So at the end of the six months that they were doing this and celebrating, they came up with this, 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 this need to have a big party. They called it a banquet. And for seven days, the king said, I will pay for all the booze. Anybody can have as much as they want. And we're just going to celebrate and we're going to party for seven days. No limits. They can have whatever they want. So while the men were out drinking and they drank and they drank and they drank, the queen had decided, all right, we're going to do something different. And it was subdued and peaceful. They had a banquet for the women. And you can imagine the conversations they had. They'd walk over and look out the window, and there are their husbands, slobbering drunk out in the streets. You can imagine what the women were saying. Oh, look at Joe over there. Oh, my goodness. Look. What's he doing? You can imagine what they were seeing their husbands and the men in the town doing. And, and they drank and drank and drank. And Xerxes, her husband, was slobbering drunk. And he had a brilliant idea. While he was slobbering drunk, a brilliant idea. And he said, you know what we need? They were tired of probably everything that they had already tried and done. And he was like, hey, guys, I got an idea. My wife is beautiful. If you haven't seen her, in fact, we're going to have her come out and we're just going to look at her. <laughs> and he sent for his wife. And you can imagine the guys go in and they're like, hey, Queen Vashta, um, your husband is requesting your presence out here. You can imagine what she felt. How would she have been threatened by that? Would that have threatened her security? Can you imagine being a beautiful queen and you're called to go out because your beauty and be put on display for a bunch of drunk men? That would be a problem, wouldn't it? What about her significance? How do you think that made her feel? 
like an object. Her husband didn't care about her. He just wanted them to see his trophy. Intimate relationships, what about that? Obviously, she doesn't have a husband that cares for her. And here he is, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And how difficult would that have been? So she was extremely threatened, wasn't she? So what did she do? She refused to go. She refused. And Xerxes got threatened. So he deposed Queen Vashti. And let me, let me read what he said. He justified it with this. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, Well, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. The, this very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. What's he saying? It's a slippery slope. If I let her off the hook, all the women are going to be a problem for our husbands, right? There will be no end of disrespect and discord, he said. How was he threatened? Was his security threatened? You better believe it. All of his generals were there. All of the powerful people from around the nation were there. And they were watching to see what he was going to do. And they would depose him probably. If he messed up all of the women in the world, as far as they, they were concerned. Uh, what about his, his significance? Was his significance threatened? Well, I'm the king. People do what I tell them to do, especially my wife. If I can't get my wife to do what I want her to do, then I can't get anybody to, tell, to do what I want them to do. So a huge threat to his significance. What about his intimate relationships? He didn't have much of one with her, I guarantee you that. But was his queen. So the king was living, and listen, the king was living a life that was really threatening to his queen, wasn't he? He was a huge threat to his queen. She finally stood up for herself. And look at how things blew up. And listen, when you've got people in your life that are living as a threat to you, when you stand up to them, it's going to blow up. You say, well, John, that's why I don't stand up to them. Well, let me ask you a question. I wonder, do you think Queen Vashti was probably happier living out in the wilderness after she got banished than what she was dealing with back in the palace? I don't know, but it could be. She probably lost all of that wealth and power, but she had freedom. I have to believe she was. So here we come to the place where the king needed another queen. Every, every king needs a queen, right? So the way they did this was they had what was called Persian idols. They had a, a, it was a, it was a game show, I guess. And they had a beautification process that they would bring all of the beautiful women from all across the nation in, and they would put them through a one-year beautification process. These had to be some really dirty people, right? It took them a year to clean these women up and make them prepared for the king and make their hair smell good, right? So living in the city around the palace were many Jews. And remember, this is during the period of exile all the Jews hadn't gone back to, to Israel. They had been 
that Babylon had come in and taken them out. And so the Jews are just kind of living everywhere. And there were a bunch of Jews living around where the palace was. And there was this beautiful, beautiful young lady named Hadassah. And Hadassah means myrtle tree, peace, love, and prosperity. That was her name. But when they brought her into the palace, they gave her a different name. They gave her the name Esther, which is a word for, a name for Ishtar, which was the goddess that was of the star. So she was the star. So she became the star of this uh, Persian idol game, all right? So of all the women in the land, the king chose Esther. He chose her. Of all the women, he chose her. She was the fairest of them all. Esther had a secret. She was a Jew. Honestly, nobody cared to even ask her. They just saw that she was beautiful. And that's all that mattered to them. A beautiful woman is what they wanted. Her cousin, Mordecai, had raised her because her parents apparently had both died early in her age uh, when she was young. And so this cousin, Mordecai, actually raised her. He was always hanging out at the palace gate. He was watching, making sure that she was safe because he cared for her like a father would. And sitting at the palace gate watching over Esther, one day he overheard the gatekeepers were talking about a plot to kill the king. And so he communicated with Esther and said, hey, this is what's happening. Esther then communicated with the palace guards and, the, and they were able to save the king and protect him from dying. Now, there's another interesting character that I want to bring to you in this story. His name is Haman. And Haman was the second guy in charge in the kingdom appointed by King Xerxes. Haman was a prideful, wealthy man. He had ten sons that were also very, very wealthy and very successful. And the king had given the order. This is so so interesting. The king had given the order that every time Haman would go through the palace gates that all of the palace guards, the royal officials, were to bow down to him as he went through the gates. And guess who was also at the gate when he would go through the gates? Her cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai wouldn't bow. He was loyal to God, and he wouldn't bow down to Mordecai when he would go through the gates. They knew that he was a Jew, and so day after day, as Haman went through the gates of the, of the royal palace, everyone would bow, but there's Mordecai. Haman, or Haman, went insane. He was threatened. He became so enraged that not only did he decide that Mordecai needs to die, but he decided that all the Jews need to die. He was enraged. He was incensed. How was Haman Haman threatened? How was he threatened? His security? His significance? And intimate relationships? Well, yeah, his family. We'll read about them in just a moment. So he went to the king, and and listen, this king, Xerxes, he didn't have any integrity, especially when it came to this. He was like, you know, hey, these people are a threat to the kingdom, and without any kind of investigation, with just the simple suggestion that, hey, 
we just really need to rid the world of all of these people. Xerxes signed up for it and was like, okay, no problem, let's do it. And so dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, all because Haman got threatened. Interesting how one guy's threats can... Listen, it's so easy for us to take this one little thing that someone is doing and say, all right, because they're doing that, I deserve to do this back to them. You ever seen that? And that's exactly what was happening here. This guy won't bow to me, so I'm going to do this in retaliation. And look what verse 15 says. So the couriers went out, they, spurred on, they were spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was, a, was bewildered. What's it saying? It's saying the king and Haman, they just went and sat down to drink while this decree went out that we're going to kill all of the Jews. And the people in the city were like, whoa, wait a second, we don't understand we know Mark. We know these guys. We, these people aren't a problem in our, in our world. Why are they going to kill these guys? These are our neighbors. These are our co-workers. These are our friends. We don't understand this. They were bewildered. The people were confused. So Mordecai, he sent, a word, he sent word to Esther, and Esther was in the palace. She was protected. She didn't know any of this stuff was going on. He expected her to go to the king and get this decree reversed. Esther, as you can imagine... She was afraid. Now think about that. She's in the palace. She's getting her toes and her fingernails done every day. Whatever she wants, she can have. And suddenly Mordecai comes to her and says, we've got a problem and you've got to deal with it. Esther was afraid. This young woman was suddenly thrust into a responsibility she never dreamed she would have to do. Beyond her worst nightmare. And she sent a word back to him, said this, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So it's been 30 days, it's been a month since she's been called to go see the king. And for her to go to the king without him asking for her to come, she would have to walk into those inner courts and look down the hall there and see the king and see if he would raise his gold scepter, permitting her to come in. And if he didn't do that, she would die. Mordecai wrote this back. Do you not think that because you're the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, and I love this, this is a statement of faith. If you remain silent at this time, if you don't do what, you want, what God wants you to do, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Isn't that faith? But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What is he saying? He's saying, Esther, you have purpose. You have meaning. And if you miss this opportunity, you're missing a big one. 
Perhaps you're put in this position for this reason. Perhaps you're going through this problem, through this difficulty for God's purposes, for a reason. And Esther agreed. Listen, how was she being threatened? Esther was severely threatened. Was her security threatened? Absolutely. It could be death that quickly. Was her significance threatened? Absolutely. Was her intimate relationships threatened? Yeah. Mordecai could be mad at her. Never talk to her again. Esther agreed, and she said, all right, I'm going to do it. But Mordecai, I want you to go out, and I want you to tell everybody to start praying and fasting because I'm going to approach the king. And three days later, she put on her royal robes, and she went out, and with great fear, she went and she stood in the inner courts where the king would be looking at her. She stood in there in the palace, and the king was sitting on his royal throne, and you can imagine, as she walked in, and she adjusted her dress, And she knew he was right there, and she looked up to see what he was doing. And he reached out his scepter. And she walked forward, and she touched it. And he said, what is it, Queen Esther? I'll give up to half of the kingdom to you. Wow! What favor! What if she hadn't rerouted her thinking? What if she didn't decide, you know what? I'm going to trust and believe that this guy likes me. You know, so often we miss great opportunities in our lives because we just don't try. And you've got to reroute your thinking and believe the best. Go after that job. Go after that opportunity that's ahead of you. Go after that. If you're single, go after that guy. Go after that lady, right? You go after, you got to reroute your thinking and believe for good things. And what if she hadn't done this? And so he says, Queen Esther, what would you like? I'll give up to half of the kingdom to you. And she says, oh, 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 that's, that's awesome. She invited him to dinner and she said, I want to provide a banquet for you, but not just for you. I want to invite Haman to the, the banquet as well. And so that night, he was like, okay, that sounds good. So that night, she put together a banquet and invited him on, and, 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 and the king were there, and she goes in, and she cooks for them, and it's a wonderful thing. And finally, they get to the place after they eat, and the king says, Esther, now what is it that you want? And she says, well, let me provide another banquet for you for tomorrow. He's like, Okay. But invite Haman as well. I want him to be here as well. Uh-huh. Well, you can imagine how excited Haman was. And look at it. The scripture says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. He's like, oh, this is great. I got to be with the king and the queen. I'm the only one in all the nation. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage. So he goes out of the palace. Oh, this is great. And he walks through the gate and he's like, ha, 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 this is... <sighs> Mordecai. But he rerouted his thinking. Look what it says. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. He's like, oh, I just got out of a good situation. Oh, and I do have that dinner tomorrow night. So I'm just, 
I'm just going to get home, all right? So calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth. <laughs> I'm so rich. I've got everything. My sons, look at my sons. They're strapping young men. And all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials, they've made me so important. You guys just, you guys are so, you're lucky to know me. You can hear him talking about it. And he says, and that's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to, to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. I am the only one. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Listen, if your meaning and purpose in life isn't so good to override the pain of your life, you're missing out on life. If the good things that God has given you to do in your life don't override the pain in your life, you're missing it. You've got to change your focus. And you've got to look at the good things that God has given you so much better and more than the pain in your life. Listen, I don't know how I would have gotten through this last year of my life had I not had the meaning and purpose that I have in my life. And the, the meaning and pain of doing what I do with my kids and with the church and in chaplain stuff that I do, all of that is so meaningful in my life that it overrode the pain of losing my wife. And that is so key. And if the pain in your life isn't capable of being overridden by the good things, the powerful things, the wonderful things, the, the things that God has given you to do in your life, then you're missing it. It's time for you to begin to focus, refocus on that. How easy would it have been for Haman, Haman to look at this situation and go, you know what? The king likes me. The queen likes me. It doesn't matter what Mordecai thinks. But he couldn't do that. And some of us get so focused on the threats in our lives that we miss the purpose in life. We get so focused on the one little thing that we just, it just is like a dog just barking at you. A little yapper. You know what I'm talking about? It's those little things in life that just keep coming at you and they keep coming at you. And you're so focused on it. Come on, give the dog a good kick. No, don't do that. <laughs> all right, so here's, here's another part. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends. So he's got all his friends. Listen, if you've got friends like this, you need to regroup. They said to him, you're right. You are so right. How dare that one guy. Have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted him on and he had the pole set up great friends. Great advice. Listen, this is why it's so important for you to have a church family. 
so that when you get threatened, when you have stupid thoughts like this, that you're surrounded by people that can impart some wisdom into your life. They can say, no, wait a second, wait a second, that's not a good idea. But some of you have friends that have challenged you to do, I remember in uh, sixth grade, I was sitting at the table at lunch, and I was playing with the ketchup bottle. Remember the squirt ketchup bottles that we had in school? I was playing with it. One of the guys sitting sit next to me, he leaned over and he goes, hey, why don't you squirt that in the air? Why would I do that? That'll be fun. Okay. <laughs> ketchup went all over everybody. And the teacher comes over and she's like, who did this? And he goes, <laughs> pointed right at me. And that's exactly what happens here. He had some bad friends. They gave him bad advice. And, and look what happens. So we need people in our lives like the church that will help us to have wisdom in these moments in our lives, these moments of threat. This is so cool. That night, God participated. The king couldn't sleep. How many of you know that was God? And he said, I would like you to read the chronicles of my kingdom to me, please. And he called this guy in, the servant, to read the story, the chronicles of his kingdom. And he got to the place where Mordecai saved his life. Remember that? And the king asked the question, hey, what did we ever do for him? Nothing. Well, he saved my life. So he should have done something. Hmm. Well, at that moment, the king said, who's in the court? Now, all night long, Haman had been planning what he was going to say to the king. He was going to go in that morning, and he was going to say, we need to assassinate Mordecai. I need your permission to kill him. So Haman shows up the next morning. King couldn't sleep. He's planning this with Mordecai. And he says, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered him, Haman is standing in the court. Well, bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Well, let me tell you. Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest on its head. Let them robe the man with the king, the king delights to honor and, let him, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. What? Come on, this is better than any Hallmark movie. If you're falling asleep, you're missing something here. This is awesome. 
This is really a Bible story, okay? And this is really history. So Haman got the robe and the horse. You can imagine. Oh, God, God, God. He robed Mordecai. He robed Mordecai. Oh, come on, that's huge. And led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And you can imagine what Mordecai is thinking. He's like, holy cow, this is awesome. This man is doing this for me. This is amazing. God, you're too awesome. After Mordecai returned to the king's gate, let that sink in. Mordecai goes back to the king's gate. Can't wait for Haman to walk through this gate again. <laughs> but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, all his friends, everything that had happened to him. You're not going to believe it. I had to say that. And look at what his wife and friends said. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. What happened? He did it. <laughs> You're on your own. Isn't that what your friends will do? It's not what we'll do. You might do it to us, but we're not going to do it to you. While they were still talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Queen Esther fed them, and the king asked her again, Esther, what do you want? Tell me what it is that you want. She told him, well, listen, there's a plot to kill me and all of my people, and requested to spare them. The king said, who is this? Who is he? Where is he? The man who would dare do such a thing, who would do this? And Esther became just a little too bold at the moment. She didn't just say, um, well, um, it's, it's, it's Haman. Something rose up in her and she screamed, an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman, and pointed at him. The king was so enraged, he left the room and went out to a garden to try to gather his thoughts. And it's really cool because it's really funny, actually. While he went out there, we know that she went over to a couch and reclined on the couch. And she sat on that couch and just watched Haman just lose his mind, threatened, right? And here's what happens. He begins begging for his life, begging, please, 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 please speak up for me. Please don't have me killed while she's reclining on the couch. And just as the king walks back in, Haman is pleading with her and he trips or he loses balance or something, and he falls on her, and the king looks at this situation just as he walks in. Don't you know God's timing is perfect? The king looks at the situation and goes, will he even molest the queen while she's with me in my house? And the story ends with Haman being killed on the very same device that he had set up for Mordecai the night before. The Jews got to live. Mordecai is given 
Haman's position and his estate. And the Jews were given permission <coughs> excuse me, to go throughout all the land and destroy all of Haman's family. Beyond that, the king allowed Mordecai to write a decree that allowed the Jews to go at war against anyone in the province that might destroy them. Huge. And the book ends with this. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. And David, would you come? So, I shared that story with you so that you could see the various threats and how to apply them in a situation. And here's, here's a huge point. How you process your threats in this life determines what side of history you're on. And what is history? His story. How you process your threats affects your family, your children, the people around you every day. And if you're not taking your threats to God, can I have just a few more minutes? Is that all right? It's been a great story, hasn't it? It's taken a lot of time. I want to take you real quickly to just a few things to help you process your threats, all right? Because how you process them can change your life. So let's talk about your security real quick. What has your God said about your security? Speak up. Secure in Him, taken care of. What's that? We're joint heirs with Christ. Nobody can take us out of His hand. patient. Know he's God. There's security in that. Do you have food? For how long? For eternity. Do you have clothes? For how long? For eternity. What if you don't see those things on this earth like you want to see them? Why? Because you've got them for eternity. This is what Jesus was screaming from the cross at you and me. He was saying, your security is in me. And what happens to you on this earth isn't what matters as much as you knowing that you've got all of that. So if they put you on a cross, they strip you naked, they beat this body to smithereens. You've got eternity with me. Isn't that beautiful? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who... who love Him. God's home is now with His people. He will live with them, and they will be His own. Yes, God will make His home among His people. He will wipe all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. 
Then the one sitting on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write down what I've said. My words are true and can be trusted. Everything is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give water from the life-giving fountain to everyone who is thirsty. All who win the victory will be given these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's security in that. Do you believe it? Yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. What about your significance? Your royalty. Do you believe that? Who are you to God? Someone said it. Children of God. You're his child. And he loves you. Isn't that beautiful? What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels. I'd say that's pretty significant. And then he lifted us up, didn't he? My friends, don't be afraid of people. They can kill you, but after that, there's nothing else they can do. God is the one you must fear. Not only can he take your life, but he can throw you into hell. God is certainly the one you should fear. Five sparrows are sold for just two pennies, but God doesn't forget a one of them. Even the hairs on your head are counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Those are the words of Jesus. Do you believe that? What does God say about your intimate relationships? We're in Christ bride of Christ. That's beautiful, isn't it? He says they'll be forever. Even if you don't have friends here, you've got them up there forever. If everybody turns their back on you here, you've got that. Isn't that awesome? My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you believe that? And he also says they'll be better. Your relationships will be better. How many of you have experienced that since you came to Christ? Your relationships are better. They will be better. John wrote this. This is how everyone, this is what Jesus said. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. Your relationships will be better when you come to Christ and you put your life in Him. Listen, I know this was a little bit longer today, but I want to take a moment to pray before we go. This is a huge, huge part of your daily life processing these threats. Your security, your significance, and your intimate relationships, when they're founded in Him, when those things are, listen, when you do your devotions and you look for the answer to those three things in your daily life, you're going to be able to walk out of your house and go and able to love the people in your life. As opposed to, man, I can't believe i got to face them again. Ugh, Mordecai in the office 
You get to be Mordecai. I'm not threatened. I'm not threatened. You can kill me, you can kill all my people, but I'm not threatened. What are you afraid of today? It's time to let it go. Would you bow your heads? Begin to just give it over to him. Whatever it is that you're threatened by, whatever your fear is, begin to give it to him. Father, I believe that you have provided for me everything that I need. And what I see that seems to be lacking is only for your purpose, and I'll trust you with it. I believe for your provision, for everything that I do need to accomplish what you put me here for. And Father, I also believe that you have me where I need to be. And only you can promote me, put me in a different position, be more revered or less, whatever it is, I'm, I'm signing up for your purpose in my life. And I trust you for it. And Father, for my intimate relationships that you promised me, that if everybody here runs from me or is taken from me, God, I've got it for eternity. I've got you, and I've got all your people for eternity. And I trust you to help me to be better here for the people around me, to love them. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, just do that right now. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for washing me and cleansing me from all of my sin. I want to get to know who you are, what you like, and what you don't like, and accommodate for you living in me the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.